Okay, everybody, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And today we're going to do verses 3 through 5. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. It's, we're getting close to the end. Here in September, well, I know we're in August, but in upcoming September, uh, we will finish Timothy, and then our next step is going to be into the book of Matthew. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. We're just going to begin teaching what is going on in this gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're here in the last chapter of Timothy. Um, I will preach uh, today and next week, and then Jared will be preaching, and then we will, can, then we will move towards our closure of this book. And so Paul again comes back to the false teachers. So we've got to look at these false teachers yet again because it's right there in Scripture. Like he keeps coming back to it, and I want to talk about that, and then I want to look at, okay, so what is really sound doctrine? Like what is something that you and I can cling to that we need to hold on to? And uh, here's what 1 Timothy says. Chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Paul writes, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Okay, like, that's what we're going to talk about today. What in the world does that even mean, and why does it even need to mean anything to us? Like, that's God's inspired word. We want to understand it, because in understanding it, we can apply it to our lives and walk hard after God. And so, my big question first, I've just really got three questions. Um, when, how does this even connect to last week? Because these verses don't float out there on their own, and last week we were preaching all the way through chapter 5. Like, how does this connect with that? The, the second one is, what are the qualities of a false teacher? And then the third one is, all throughout this letter, he keeps saying, what accords with sound doctrine? What is sound doctrine? And so that's kind of our path. There's three questions. How in the world does this connect? What do these false teachers actually look like? And I kind of a sub-question is, why do they even do that? And then the third one is simply, okay, then what is sound doctrine that we can hold on to and be rejuvenated in? So how does this connect to last week? Last week... We looked all through chapter 5, and that was dealing with all the relationships within the church, how we deal with one generation to the other, how, we, how the congregation interacts with the elders, how we handle widows, um, how um, bond servants and masters or employees and employers, like all, as we all come in here, we have relationship with one another. And Scripture actually tells us what that's supposed to look like. And we actually looked through several different texts, all in the, the New Testament, all the different letters that, that Paul was writing. And, and we kind of pulled together all these one another's. And then in the midst of that, that all flows right into him talking again about false teachers. Do you know why? Because false teachers were in the church and false teachers are in the church today. Don't look around. I'm not saying like to your left and to your right. Literally, they're in here. But the reality is, is that this is how Satan does move. Where God's people gather, Satan will absolutely be active. Where God calls for unity, Satan will seek to dissolve and destroy anything that God is bringing together. And he will do it so, so deceitfully and yet destructively. So, 
Paul is writing into that. And I think that that's why Paul is, is doing this at this moment. He's closing the letter. He's talked about all of the relationships within the church and how everybody should be interacting. And he comes back and he says, and by the way, those false teachers are still meeting with you. And here's what you need to know. So that's how it all kind of fits together. I tend to think, man, there must have been a lot of false teachers back then because you read a letter from Paul or Peter or Jude. I mean, Jude, which we I'm just going to say you should read Jude. And and I, I think I've got it here in my notes. We're going to look at part of Jude. I've got a I, I kept editing because I was trying to be mindful. And and I, so I kept part of Jude in, but not all of Jude, which, by the way, is one chapter. So you can read all of Jude. Um, but man, that's one of the heaviest indictments against false teachers. So I'm just in there. Like, as I'm studying this, I'm going, man, there must have been false teachers everywhere. Glad we're not one of them. Like, glad we're healthy. And, and here's, here's what I feel like is true. I don't think that it's that false teachers were so numerous. I think it's that their teaching was so destructive. One false teacher in a congregation with false doctrine destroys so much. Any false teaching... Any false doctrine that's taught is absolutely always wrong, and Paul knew that. I've told you that Chas and I are not the best gardeners, um, but she does a much better job being able to identify which, what thing is a weed and what thing is a flower. To me, if it grows where I don't want it to grow, it's a weed, and I pull it, and I get accused of murdering the plants. She actually can identify what is more of a weed and what's not. And what will happen with false teaching is these weeds will creep into a church. We're about five years old as Cross Life. We are a young church. Don't think that weeds have not already begun to creep. Do not think that God has not, or I mean that Satan has not already begun to work. He does. Where God's people gather, Satan is always going to be active. So I think it comes down to, not that there were so many false teachers, though I think that there probably were, but I think it comes down to Paul was really kind of clarif- trying to clarify this is really destructive and you need to take this seriously. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 6. And if you're a guest with us and I'm, I'm giving you a heads up, we, we go a whole lot to the Word. We read a whole lot of the Word because the Word is what will do the work. I, my job is just to kind of piece it together and give understanding. So look at Matthew chapter 16, and I'm in the ESV. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and here's what he says. I'm sorry, verse 5. When the disciples, verse 5 of chapter 16, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. That's what I would do. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Time out. Just so you know, you and I would make great disciples in these moments. Because if he said, where's the bread? And we say, we have no bread, then I would assume that Jesus is talking about bread. Jesus was not talking about bread. He says to them, verse 8 again, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Verse 10, or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? 
He says again, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Watch this. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware. I'm sorry. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Because here's what it comes down to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you read about them all throughout the New Testament as they encountered Jesus, and they were the false teachers of the time. They were leading people wrongly. They loved God. Loved God. They were doing everything that they thought they were supposed to do. They were very religious and they were holding to the law, most of which it wasn't the Old Testament law they were holding to anymore, but a Pharisaical law. Like in the interim of Malachi and Matthew in your Bible, that one page that divides them, there are hundreds of years. And in that time, the Pharisees rose up and they began to create their own laws. And they were holding to these laws. And these are the religious leaders of the day. These are the pastors and the preachers and the teachers of the day. And they would walk through the streets. And this is who you would go to if you wanted to know what it meant to honor a holy God. You would go to the Pharisees and Sadducees. The exact same ones who rallied the crowd and cried, crucify him because they did not like who Jesus was. That's who the Pharisees and the Sadducees are. They were the religious leaders and they were misleading people because they were completely missing Jesus. And so he says to them, beware of the leaven. I don't bake. I understand nothing about it. And I'm not even going to pretend to, but I really like bread. And my understanding is, is that I need that leaven in there so that it's going to plump up and it's going to fill the hole. Is this right? Understanding of bread? Fantastic. I just know that I like it. Y'all, they're... Their pride and their misteaching was, was going to fill those who, who genuinely wanted to seek the Lord. That leaven, that teaching was corrupting them and leaven was filling the hole. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, be careful of their teaching, it's wrong. It will fill you and you need to be careful. Look at Galatians. So you're going to turn to your right, several, several books. You're going to go Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. As you're turning there, the, the religious leaders who were, I told you they were the, they were the religious leaders. They're the ones who are saying, here's how you love God. It was their pride. There was their rallying cry of blasphemy, of bla he is blasphemous. And it's their pride that nailed him to the tree in like a temporal scope. They're the ones who were rallying the crowd. In the eternal scope, you always need to keep in mind, it's our sins that nailed him there. We can't look back and say, oh, they just so messed up. Christ came to die for our sins. But in that moment, these prideful men knelt Him there. Galatians 5, 7-9. Still this whole idea of, of leaven and false teaching. Galatians 5, verses 7-9. through Paul writes to the church of Galatia and he says, You were running well. You were doing well. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Like that's the same idea that Paul is writing to, to Timothy. You need to be careful of the false teachers. A little leaven, just a tad bit of false teaching is going to fill up and corrupt the whole. So the reality is this. Any false teaching at any time is always wrong. 
whether it's me, whether it's Trent, whether it's Andy, whether it's Paul, whether it's Drew or Chas, it's, he uses the masculine he here a whole lot, but false teaching can come from females as well, and it doesn't always come from the pulpit. It can come in private conversations and prayer requests. False teaching, a little bit of leaven, can corrupt the whole. You and I should be watchful. But we also live in the South, and in the South, I mean, that'd be kind of rude, right? So we're just going to hear it, we're going to deal with it, we're going to tolerate it, and we're going to say, yeah, yeah, I get it, and then we're going to go privately pray, which is not bad, but we also need to be willing to stop it whenever it occurs, because weeds will grow if you don't stop them. A little leaven, any false teaching. So why does he come back to false teachers? Because as they all gather, as we all gather there's one generation to the other. There are elders. There's the congregation. There are widows. There are orphans. Like all of them are coming together. There's employees and employers. And there are false teachers all in the congregation. And we've got to be mindful of all of this going on. Okay, so then what do we know about false teachers from this passage? We actually know a whole lot. Okay, says this. A false teacher is this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. He likes this stuff. For quarrels about words. And this produces envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. And they imagine that godliness is a means of gain. And by the way, gain there is financial gain. It's not just like, because I look at that, I'm like, well, godliness is gain. Like I actually, by being godly, isn't that better for me? That idea there, that gain, you, you press into it and you see this in other letters too. They actually believe that ministry is the opportunity to gain more money. Like that's their occupation. Okay, so we'll come back to that at the end. All right, so it really comes down to this. The first thing you need to know about a false teacher is they do not teach what Jesus Christ taught, and they're not going to teach anything that lines up with what Jesus Christ taught or held to. We're going to look at that at the very, very end. That's where we're going to like dwell at the very, very end. Okay, so we're going to come to all that. What does that even mean? But their teaching actually contradicts. It doesn't complement. It doesn't come alongside. It doesn't feel. It doesn't even like communicate what Jesus Christ himself was teaching. There's a book, um, well, there are plenty of books that will highlight false teaching in the church today. And I'm drawing a blank on the one that I, I read. I'll, I'll just send it to y'all and then group me or text, just text me later and say, what was that book? But um, I believe it was called Christianity in Crisis. I'm, I'm almost certain. And, and it's quotes of teachers who have these huge platforms and they are saying these things. I mean, they have it narrowed down to God's wingspan. And they're telling about who this God is and what He expects. And as I'm reading this book, I'm like, there's no way anybody actually said that. Except that you see the footnote that then refers you to the source so that you can actually go there. And you see that this is being publicly proclaimed and held to. And masses of people are following it. It's happening everywhere. And it does not line up with what Jesus Christ Himself taught. Number two. The second thing we know, so they don't teach according to Christ. Second thing, we see that they're puffed up, which means that they are full of arrogance and pride. Whenever you are with them, whenever you watch how they interact, whenever you listen to them speak, whenever you watch like at a distance, not even how they interact with other people, but with their own family, you watch how they carry themselves, you look at their conduct, you listen to their words. Whenever you look at their lives, you see not humility, but you see pride. Oh, they're not. Again, we're in the South. They're not being prideful. They're not being arrogant. They're just very confident in what they know. No, the mark 
of an elder is going to be bound up in his humility. Like it will be known. It should be evident. Look at the last part of the sentence, uh, of that sentence, whenever it says that he's puffed up. It even says that he understands nothing. In his pride, he no longer sees his own deceit. You know what that means. He's bought his own deceit, his own lie, his own false doctrine. He's completely submitted to it. It's delusional. Like the false doctrine that, that maybe they knew was wrong at one point, but they keep pressing into it so much that they have to espouse it and it becomes a part of who they are. So they're writing books and they're proclaiming it and they're holding to it, even though it's absolutely false. They have believed their own lie. It's a delusion. And this is who they are. Their pride has completely blinded them to the truth of Jesus Christ and all that He's told them to do. Again, we're going to look at that here in just a moment. But they are full of pride. They're deceived. Here's what y'all need to know. And here's why humility matters, whether for them or, or for us as congregation, like, as you, like all of us as congregants, as people of the Lord. Do you know why you and I need humility? Because the arrogant will never repent. It's just not going to happen. Someone who is full of pride is never going to repent because they don't even see their need of repentance. Instead, whenever they're confronted with their sin, what they do is they sit back and they're like, Lord, I'm sorry I sinned, but you know, Lord, like... And then they just begin to justify. You know what that justifying and that excusing of that sin is? It's our own pride. And the frustrating thing about humility is it seems like the deeper you go into humility, the less humble you find yourself to be in your own heart. It's a paradox. It's kind of one of those, we start far from Christ, and the closer we get to Christ, it feels like we're further but the more we grow to be more like Him, the more we see the sin within ourselves. And so we repent of that sin. We put it aside and we turn around and we're like, where'd that sin come from for crying out loud? And so you repent of that sin and you begin walking closer to Him. And as you get closer, you see another sin because He's always constantly working within us. But you need to know the reason that pride, I think, is so offensive to God is because it puts us at the center and it removes Jesus Christ and we no longer see a need for Him. But the false teacher, he's not going to repent. He sees no need to repent. He's bought the delusion of this false doctrine. I'm just saying to you, y'all, may we be ready to repent whenever we understand or we grasp that there's a false teaching that is so easily lodged within us. You and I will continue to uncover false teaching that we've heard and may be bought into. Like, it never fails. I'm reading Scripture. And as I'm reading Scripture and I'm going through, I'm like... I never saw that before. And sometimes it means, oh my goodness, I was wrong. Like I was, like I've seen, I've read this verse over and over and over and over again and I never actually got it. Like, then repent. You didn't do anything wrong up to that point, like unless you were just holding on to it like out of arrogance. But maybe you just in your ignorance did not know or you didn't see this sin that was alive within you. But you and I must be ready to repent. The false teacher's not going to repent. You go to him, you say, hey, this is not right. This is false. Oh, he's going to press further into it. He's going to hold to it even tighter. Y'all, what, have, what do we do when we know that we're in sin? Just confess and repent. He is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins for all of time. Look at this. Here's another way that you know a false teacher. This one's so helpful because I need a checklist. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. And for quarrels about words. 
which produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among people. Y'all, he loves conflict. He loves discord. He loves dissension. Not to mention he loves attention. That's why he's there espousing these things. There is a craving in his pride, wicked heart, for division to occur. There are some books that people have recommended. They're like, oh, you need to read this book. It's going to totally disrupt your Christianity and get back to like the reality of it. And people are like dividing over these books. Sometimes that book is actually really healthy and you need it. But I say you look at the product of that ministry. Is it division or is it unity? Jesus said this. You and I need this one. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. Do you want to be a child of God? Then you will be a peacemaker. Are you a peacemaker? Then you are a child of God. Are you a child of God? Then you will be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, a peacemaker. You will see division and you will constantly strive to make peace. To not do that is to completely neglect what Jesus has said in his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers for or because they shall be called children of God. I know, but I was hurt. They... And, and we want to hold on to our hurt. We want to hold on to our division. Nope, we don't get to do that. We just get to listen to Jesus and we get to deal with it. And it's hard and it stinks. See, better word choice there. That was very intentional for me. Okay, so it's hurt and it stinks and we got to deal with it. But we are called to be peacemakers. A false teacher does not sow peace. He does not make peace. He causes division and he delights in it because he's offering you something better. You have more understanding because he loves for us to fight about words. He loves for us to fight about and, and be controversial. I think it comes down to this. Look at the output of the ministry. The output of the ministry, what's the fruit of it? Does division follow? Does the teaching garner love and joy and peace and patience? Does the teaching prompt kindness and goodness and faithfulness? Does the teaching cultivate gentleness and self-control? It's what it kind of just comes down to. I'm getting all that from Galatians. Galatians 5, 19 through 26. Y'all flip there. Just so you can see where how these things kind of line up. And then we're going to start talking about very soon what is sound doctrine. In Galatians 5, 19 through 26. Paul's writing and he says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Now, it's going to add some others, but, but also look and see if some of these deeds of the flesh don't line up with what false teachers really like um, from 1 Timothy. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. It means you can see them. It is immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. For which I forewarn you, just as I've for—I'm sorry, just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at verse twenty-two. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. A false teacher, at the end of their teaching, is not going to be bearing the fruit of the spirit. It's impossible. If you preach anything opposed to Jesus Christ or the Spirit, you will not bear the fruit of righteousness, nor will their, nor will their ministry. 
Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 7, you can just listen to this if you want to, or you can flip to Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Jesus even told His disciples, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You get the meaning there. I tend to think, oh, I'll know a wolf whenever I see it, unless the wolf looks like a sheep. And so this idea that we're not going to know what a false teacher looks like. They look like a sheep. It's a wolf. They come in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You will know them, he says, by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Ooh, wait till we get to that in Matthew. But on verse 20, Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. You will know the false teacher by the fruit that they produce. You will know at the end of their sermon, at the end of their teaching, at the end of their book, when you look at their ministry, are they bearing fruits of righteousness or of division and wickedness? It tells us exactly how we can know. I think it's simple for me. When we love Jesus Christ and we preach Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ will be evident in us, it's going to be known personally, it's going to be known amongst us. Whenever we leave this place, I hope if we have done our congregating as we're supposed to and in a Christ-honoring way, our desire as elders is not that you leave talking about the sermon itself or the presentation of the sermon, but about Jesus Christ and all of Him fully exalted. Like we hope that as we preach Scripture, your concept of God and your love of Jesus just continues to swell and you understand this more and more and more. And the elders are just footnotes in the presentation of the gospel. And even then, nobody actually reads the footnotes, right? We want to preach the gospel, be forgotten, and go on. False teacher, he wants you to know his name. Okay, in Jude, I'm going to refer you to Jude. You should read Jude, especially verses 4 through 16. Oh, you know, I can't do that. Okay, go to Jude. You've got to go to Jude chapter 1, and I will abbreviate it to make sure that it's very clear what's going on here. And then um, they were going to hit the sound doctrine. Okay, in Jude chapter 1, you know why it's chapter 1? Because there's only one chapter. So you can't get lost in Jude. But if you look up a reference for Jude, you're not going to see the chapter 1. It's just going to say Jude 14 through 16 because they assume everybody knows that there's only one chapter. Even in my notes, just so you know, I always go Jude 1, 4 through 16. I just always do. That way I can always make sure people know that I'm not... Re- okay, doesn't matter. Jude, it's only one chapter, so chapter 1, verses 4 through 16 starts like this. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. That means lawlessness, like you can go sin however you want to. And they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So there have been people who have crept into the church and they're promoting this. Go to verse 12. These are the men who are the hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. It says they're clouds without water, carried along by winds. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. They're wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. 
It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam, I mean, there's some mystery in, for us in this one moment, uh, prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust. They have spoken arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. These are false teachers in the last day, and there will be condemnation for them. You and I need to know that they will creep in unnoticed. They will appear as sheep, but we will know them not by their appearance, but by the character and their conduct and how they teach and what they teach. But just about every single book touches on false teaching because they were everywhere, probably, but I think it's more because it's so destructive. Go all the way back to 1 Timothy. Because I keep asking the question, why? Like, I get it. They're proud. They're arrogant. But why? And it even answers that. It says that they believe that godliness is a means of gain. It's a means of financial gain. So the profile of a false teacher is this. If you want to break it down to like three simple things, a false teacher, this is their profile, pride, division, and greed. That can be your framework. You look at their ministry, it comes down to pride, division, and greed. And you and I are sitting there going, what are we supposed to do with all of this? First John chapter 4, very simple says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. You should constantly, church, be checking me. You should always be checking me. Because I get up here and I sit down and I speak with all confidence doesn't mean that you should really fully trust me. You should. I'm an elder, right? But you should always be checking. You should be a Berean. That's why I always want your eyes on the text as much as possible. That's why I want to be reading it. That's why if I read something that's off, I want you in your spirit to be like, oh, what? Hang on. I've even told the men, if I teach something that's wrong, it is loving for you to come alongside me and say, that does not line up with Scripture. I need that. Andy needs that. We need to be accountable and we should be accountable to the congregation for the doctrine that we teach. It must always align with Jesus Christ. It absolutely has to. What if it's a hard teaching? Praise the Lord, He told us about all the hard things so that we would know. But you should be checking me. You should absolutely know that that is a loving thing to check the fruit of the elders to make sure that we are bearing good fruit. Be nice, though. You know, don't like put a, mic, a magnifying glass on us and look for a fault, but you will know the fault whenever it's there. We are not untouchable. We've simply been called to shepherd the flock, and we mess up. First John chapter 4, I know I told you, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. And then it goes on, it says, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And it even says they are from the world, and because they speak from the world, the world listens to them. All of Scripture is going to, or you're going to see this in all of the letters. There's a warning for false teachers and to hold to solid doctrine. So then, here we go. What then are the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ? Like, what is the sound doctrine? Like, we're telling you everything that's, that's wrong or that's bad. Like, what do you and I need? And as I read these passages, I'm like, oh, man, that's good. Oh, that's so good. That's refreshing. Go to 1 John. Because we are in the South, and I know I've said that a couple of times. That's kind of the theme. Then you should know 
how to walk up to a body of water, be it a pond, a river, or a stream, and take a flat rock and skip it along the surface and see how many times you can skip that stone. If you have never skipped a stone across the water, then you should do that as your homework, okay? What we're going to do is we're going to skip a stone across 1 John. We're not going to hit every verse. We are not going to even hit your favorite verses maybe, but we might. But I wanted to answer that question, okay, what are the sound words that are in accord with our Lord Jesus Christ? And God was just like, go to 1 John. So here we go. We're going to be in 1 John, and we're going to skip a stone, and so we're going to be moving, and then at the end of this, we're going to pray. And here's what you and I need to know. In 1 John, to me, the reason I love this book is it is, to me, the simplicity of genuine Christian faith. It's a simple book, but oh man, it's deep. And all of a sudden you get a right hook. It's kind of like reading James, except John reads nicer. Like, oh, I like him. I like this is good. And then all of a sudden he like drops an elbow into your gut because he nails you with something. Whereas James, from the beginning, you know what you're getting into. He's going to slap you back and forth very, very quickly. But first, John, y'all, it's deep and it's good and it's simple. And if you want to know the authenticity or what, what a genuine authenticity of the Christian faith looks like, I think that 1 John is a great place to begin. It's for this reason that even at Union in their chapel, we're moving systematically through 1 John because it covers everything that they really need to know about genuine faith. Okay, so we're in 1 John. You're just in chapter 1. I'm just going to read these things to you. Add very little commentary if needed. And then we are going to sing of this God who came for us. So I hope that you are encouraged. Uh, I hope you've been warned. Look for the false teachers. I hope you're encouraged by everything that we're about to read. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. This is the message, John says, this is a message that we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. That's why we're in 1 John. Look at that. This is a message that we have heard from Him. So He's told us, and now we're going to proclaim it to you. Like, John was walking with Jesus in life. And he didn't just like walk with him in a big crowd. He was he intimately knew Jesus Christ. He was part of the inner circle. He's the one who wrote um, the Gospel of John. He's the one who was sitting next to Jesus at the Lord's Supper that Jesus leans back against. It's that same John. This is a John who knows exactly what Jesus taught. He says, the message that we've heard from him, we're going to proclaim it to you. Okay, so here you go. This is things that he knows from Jesus. He's proclaiming to us. Here we go. Sound doctrine, that God is light. Y'all, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. And if we say that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him, God, a liar, and His Word is not in us. You know what? We sin. It's right there. We're all full of sin. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1-2. through 2. John writes, he says, My little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now listen, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's amazing. We have an advocate. When you and I sin, Jesus Christ on the throne is our advocate, interceding for us, saying, oh, no, God the Father, they are ours. Like he is always advocating for us in our weakness. It tells us in Romans that even when we do not know how to pray, that his spirit is within us, interceding with words too deep for understanding. And then it even goes on later and it says that Jesus Christ is on the throne, interceding with us. And so deep within us is crying out to the deep that's on the throne. And they are advocating for us to God, the father who is holy. And they're saying, no, they're forgiven. It's done. Constant advocation for him in verse two to be the propitiation of our sins. He completely satisfied the wrath of God against us. The wrath of God was on you. It's on the sinners of the world. And it was just. My lie before a holy God is eternally damning. There is no shadow in him. There is no turning in Him. There is no evil in Him, and it cannot come into His presence. There is wrath for sin. And Jesus Christ paid it all. And it's not like He paid it all, and then like the, the, the record of debt is just kind of sitting there. It means whenever He's a propitiation, it's not like there's this and God the Father keeps looking at it going, but I'm holy. Okay, okay, but you died. I'm still kind of angry, but I'm going to, I'm just going to forgive him for you. Like, it's not like this adversarial relationship, like to be the propitiation means that all the wrath of God was coming to us. And by Jesus's death, it is just completely gone. That's why there's peace. That's why you can go to God and say, God, why? That's why you and I do not have to live in fear that he is hovering over us, waiting for us to, to mess up so he can just put us thumb and say, see, I told you that you were a failure. That is not God whenever we were under the blood of Jesus Christ. He is a propitiation for our sins. All the wrath of God is satisfied. Not just appeased. Not just kind of off to the side and he's going to deal with us begrudgingly. It is satisfied. There's no wrath on you anymore. Do you get that? No, because we don't talk about wrath in the church anymore. But the gospel is that the wrath has been satisfied completely and wholly. One sacrifice, once and for all, for all time. He entered into the Holy of Holies, and we stand here completely as His children. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4-6. through 6. But this correct us now. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4-6. through 6. Whoever says, I know Him, I know God, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You want to know what genuine Christianity looks like? Being as much like Jesus Christ as you possibly can. Walking as he walked. Verse 8 of chapter 2. This is wonderful. Oh, this is so good. This is sound doctrine. The darkness is passing away. This is at the end of that verse. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You need to know that the darkness is passing away. The night does not last forever. It's passing away. You just need to be reminded and that the true light is already shining. Verse 11 says, Whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Go to verses 15 through 17. Still in 1 John, just skipping the stone all the way across. See how many we can get. 
Oh, Christians, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's sound doctrine. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's sound doctrine. Look at this one. Verses 23 through 25 of chapter 2. No one denies the Son. I'm sorry, no one who denies the Son has the Father. But whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. You know what God has promised to us? Look, eternal life. That's amazing. Eternal life. Not eternal death, not eternal destruction, not at the end of this life we breathe our last and then we're just into this nothingness. But whenever we believe in Him and all the wrath is gone from us, not only is the wrath gone and we have peace with God, but we get to live with God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's just amazing. And I'm like, I'm a Christian. Yeah. Like, it's wonderful being a Christian. No, like you've been granted eternal life. The wrath of God is completely gone from you. Okay, you're not there with me, but that's okay. In my heart, I am. I know you are. Okay, it's just those benches, they get really, really uncomfortable. I know. Chapter 3. Y'all hear this in verses 2 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. That's sound doctrine. You as a believer are God's child. Adopted in fully. You bear all the name. You get to be a co-heir with Christ. You just need to be reminded sometimes that we are His children now. Already. It's not to come. It is right now. Sound doctrine right there. And then you go on. Now look at this. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, when Jesus Christ comes back, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Look at chapter 3, verses 3-8. through eight. Sound doctrine. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. Verse 6, No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. It goes on in 1 John, it says, verse 10, By this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You don't love your brother, and I don't mean like your blood brother, but I mean like your brother and sister in Christ, no matter what congregation they're at. Like you don't love them, you have animosity towards them, you have hatred, you don't like to be with them. Then we need to check our hearts because Christ has died for that person as well. Look at chapter 3, verses 23. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. 1 John chapter 4 says this in verses 9 through 12. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. 
In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Never forget that. You sing of all your love for him. You sing he's holy, holy, holy. We sing all these praises. You know why? Because he loved us first. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. That's who you and I were. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And yet God, because of his great mercy, he loved us. And we sit here today so that we can sing holy, holy, holy. I never forget these amazing truths. I just want you to know them. We're almost done, I promise. First John chapter 5, verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You've already overcome the world. The world would have said you can't go to Christ, and yet by going to Christ, by believing in Him, you've already overcome it. Because you know everything that occurs in our life is always working for the good of those who love Him or are called according to His purpose. Why do all of these things happen? And what are we supposed to do with all of them? I don't know, but somehow it's all working out for our good. Yeah, but it hurts. I know, but in the end, it all works out for our good. But you have already overcome the world. You've already overcome sin. No, this sin is still pretty alive in me. I'm still pretty clinging pretty close to it. It's still right there. No, you've actually overcome it because the fact that you're fighting it means that you will overcome if you hold and cling to Christ. We have already overcome the world. Okay, three more passages. First John chapter 5, 11 through 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Y'all, whoever has a Son has life. You have life. You don't just have Jesus, you have life. You have life because you have Jesus. Just don't forget these basic fundamental things of Christianity. We have made it so many other things besides what it is. You have life because of Jesus Christ, His Son, who is a propitiation, the full removal and satisfaction of God's wrath towards us because of our sins. You know, it's also sound doctrine in that verse. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Like His death did not induct universalism so that everybody is saved in the end. You either have Christ in your safe or you do not. That's uncomfortable and it's biblical. I love 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. There's our confidence that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. also love verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Why do I love it? Because it explains so much. And then my last one, 1 John chapter 5 through 20. What is sound doctrine? It's this. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And false teachers are not going to teach those things. They're not going to teach the things that center on Christ. They'll preach many things. It'll sound great. 
But this is what Jesus has taught. He taught it to John. He taught to the disciples. He teaches all throughout the Gospels. The salvation is only found in Him, and it is all to the glory of the Father. And then whenever we believe in Him, there is eternal life. And y'all get this, that radically changes absolutely everything about us. We cannot say that we are saved, that we are destined for heaven, and yet piddle and, and, and mess with the things of the world because it doesn't line up. We are either of Him and in Him, and we're growing towards Him, or we're not. But it changes everything. And you and I are redeemed by Jesus Christ. You don't have to have all the answers, but, but if you're just wanting to say, like, what, what does that really mean that I'm a Christian? Then go to 1 John and just start to read it very, very slowly. And you're going to see all these things. But you need to know that you and I were redeemed. Our sins of the past were forgiven in the moment of our salvation. And we were brought in as children of God. And so we are. And if you sin between that moment of your decision to make Him your Lord and the end, then it says all throughout First John that if we, are, if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just and He forgives over and over and over and over again. From beginning to end, the teaching of Jesus Christ is that God is light, we were in darkness, and He saved us. May that be ever what we preach at Cross Life. May that be what we rest in until the day that we all go to see Him face to face and become like Him. The message of Christianity, sound doctrine, is not go live a better life. The message of Christianity, y'all, is that Jesus Christ died so that we may have eternal life and God be glorified through it all. That's what all this is about. And for all of eternity, we get to do this together along with others. Let's pray. Lord God, for all the words, may, what, may, may we remember what your word actually says. Not what we're told it says, but what it actually says. And it is this. Or that we were sinners, hopeless, ungodly enemies of the cross, but you, God, because of your great mercy, you saved us. Or what kind of mysterious, wonderful, eternal love is that? Lord, may we never grow old to the gospel. Lord, remind us and renew us in that. And Lord, just be with us. Carry us because we are but flesh. We are but a breath. We are weak. And Lord, may in our weakness we be reminded of you who are strong and who carry us. Lord, for all of this, the opening of the word, the singing earlier, the prayers. Lord, would you be glorified in our hearts as we leave this place today, equipped to do every good work that you've called us to. And Lord, may you do a work that we cannot. Amen.